Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes. Welcome to Tech Radio. For 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast, bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you bang up to date on all things tech every single day with early updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Now, on the programme this week, a very, very interesting interview uh, about girls in tech. More on that uh, in a few moments. But first, now, Kitson, our editor-in-chief, is joining me. Uh, and Niall, I had an interesting little get-together at the weekend. Well, you've I, had an adventure without me. Uh, I had an adventure without you, with a little uh, meet-up group, uh, where we kind of just gather. It's like uh, nomads, uh, mm-hmm. people who work on laptops all the time. And for whatever reason, they had said to me, can you find out about virtual assistants? It just came up in conversation. I said, I'd find out about virtual assistants. And I found out some stuff and went back to the meeting. And between what I found out and what I shared with the meeting, it was all through a couple of surprises. And I just wanted to share with you, if you have a few minutes. Okay, right. So when you say virtual assistant to me, I'm immediately thinking, you know, Siri and Cortana and all that, all that kind of stuff. But that's not what you mean. No, it's not. But that, that is the first thing that really threw me, especially when I'm sitting with a load of people who work on their laptops all day. <laughs> They're going, mm-hmm. oh, I thought you meant Google Assistant. No. Um, a virtual assistant is kind of really, a, it's, it's a real live person who works remotely on a laptop or wherever in their own home uh, on a kind of an ad hoc or a part-time basis. So you can use somebody for an hour, uh, you can use somebody regularly for three hours a week, every month or whatever it happens to be. It's definitely not one of the digital assistants. Um, and the other thing, actually, that I had always heard about virtual assistants, because in my mind, they've been around for at least 10 years, maybe 15 years. But I always thought that these virtual assistants lived in India. Okay. Well, if their time is cheap, then reasonable assumption. Have have you ever heard of a book called The uh, the 4-Hour Working Week? I think it was Tim Ferriss or or somebody wrote it. I've heard of it. I haven't read it. Right. Now, neither have I, okay? Uh, But I have heard about it. And one of the things that he was bigging up uh, was the fact of using a virtual assistant. And I just didn't get it. I I don't want some guy in India reading my email and responding to it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I never really kind of uh, uh, went very further with it. But what I found out this week is all very interesting. No, they're not in India. Most virtual assistants that I came across online are based in the States or in the UK. Oh, OK. And, kind of, and what, they do this as like a side gig? And it is a side gig. A kind of like one of the reasons why it's successful is because there are people in the world who like working from home. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people in the world, this is what I was doing in my, my group, uh, I was saying, one thing that drives me not I hate doing accounts, or I hate doing research, or I hate having to format emails for MailChimp before I send it out. But thank the Lord, there are people in the world who love formatting emails for MailChimp to send it to your mailing list. This is what they get. And then I was explaining there was a job that I need to do with times for events and stuff like that that I have to. It takes me two week, or two hours every week in order to do it. And I said, oh, I hate doing that. And then one of the other girls is at the same meeting. Goes, oh, I love doing that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of it's a good pairing up of, uh, of uh, people. And another reason, uh, as well as people working uh, from home and controlling their own time, another reason why it's successful is because uh, businesses 
or people like myself who are kind of self-employed uh, find that taking somebody on can be prohibitive, mm-hmm. uh, either with taxes or commitments or laws or whatever. So being able to use somebody virtually on, on an on-off, on-off basis is very, very handy. So that's essentially what a virtual assistant is and why it's successful. Okay, but that, that raises a couple of questions uh, for me mm-hmm. um, at a sort of a logistical level. Mm-hmm. Um, how does this work out uh, in terms of, you know, reporting income or uh, taxing or anything like that? Because I imagine somewhere along the way, especially if somebody's doing a lot of work for you, that uh, they're going to have to declare this income at some stage. Generally, you will go through a website like uh, Fiverr.com or Upwork or Smart-PA or something like that, and you get a receipt. Right. Simple as. Okay. It's, it's like getting a taxi or, or having your accountant do your books for you. You get a receipt, there you go, done. Hmm. And okay. it's, up to, it's up to that person then to do their uh, their taxes. Funny that the first question you ask is, how do you declare your taxes? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you know me. I, li- I like procedure. I like I like things to be morally correct. <laughs> well, uh, uh, that's that a lot. A lot of people in our group are saying that that's where they would use a virtual assistant is for procedure and for boring tasks and administration. Um, because one thing is that they hate doing those jobs, so they'd much rather pay somebody else to do them. But as I pointed out, is that that frees you up to do the things that you enjoy and to help grow your business. Okay, well, that that might be true, but you're still entrusting someone that you actually don't know or haven't met to do something that actually might might seem menial now, but could actually end up being critical to your business later. But you are the boss and what you ask somebody to do and you are the boss and how much you trust them. And uh, again, another thing that came from our conversation as we found out more and more about it was as people were opening up to the idea of using a virtual assistant, it became very clear that trust and communication were two of the key things that would make it work. Yeah. And you're right. Um, uh, For example... I didn't think that I'd used a virtual assistant, but I have. I always use virtual assistants when I need logos designed. Okay. Because I jump straight on Fiverr.com. I look for a designer. I give them the pitch. I say, there it is. They send me back to the design. I pay them. They're done. <laughs> and that's essentially what it is. Um, when it comes to trust, there are other companies. There's a, a an Irish girl who's getting involved with a, a worldwide brand called uh, smart-pa.com. Mm-hmm. And she said the the reason why she's getting involved with a, a website who would be more looking at it on a on a regular basis. So you would pay monthly for a certain person's uh, services. They said trust and credibility was a huge thing for her. This is why she was doing it with an established company because there were standards, there was billing, there was tax compliance, uh, there was all kinds of backup in there as well. So like if somebody was doing a virtual assistant for say, oh, I, I, whatever, typing. Mm-hmm. And the person she's working for goes, oh, yeah, and I also need that in Greek. <laughs> I don't speak Greek or French or whatever it happens to be. But because mm-hmm. she's part of a company, she can then go off and find somebody else, another virtual assistant working with the same service and get it done in French, whereas the customer has no idea. All he yeah. sees is a virtual assistant typed it up and did it in the two languages. And that's what you want as a customer. Mm. Yeah. Um 
So that's uh, that. That was kind of the the the, the main trust of of where we were going with uh, virtual virtual assistants. Get somebody else to do the boring work that bogs you down, so that you can work on your business and not work for your business. Um, and on the trust side of things, as you say, how do you know that you're going to get the job done? We kind of came to the conclusion that uh, on the communication, what you need to do is you need to outline the job really well. Right. Especially if it's a one-off job, you need to say, well, this is it and this is what involves and you need to do the blah, 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 whatever happens to be. And then also, because you've done this job before, you're able to time it. So you're able to say to the person, whoever the virtual assistant is, this is how you do it. The job takes two hours. Your fee is blah, 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 blah. I need it by whatever deadline. Job done. Yeah, well, that's that's something that I find having worked with suppliers based overseas Mm. uh, over the years, having a really tight spec is so important because there there is no such thing as common sense across borders. There just there isn't. No. Um, You know, be it language or how people take things up or, you know, you know, in your head how you do business. Um, Nobody else does. So if you ask somebody to do, okay, Mm. do task X and you don't actually explain how you do it to to your standards, then you're going to get something back that isn't what you want or might be shonky or might be, you know, just incomprehensible to you. So, yeah, that's something that I would... really well. Uh, And and that that gave rise to a huge amount of uh, conversation because a lot of people saying, by the time you describe the job to somebody, you may as well have done it yourself. But the very nature of boring work is that it's repetitive. So, mm. you know, kind of what I was coming back with saying, well, all right, I, I take it the point about doing it online. But if it's this is a job that needs to be done regularly by one or by a rotating door of changing people, at least if you have the uh, the whole task written out and clearly defined, uh, then you are able to um, you're able to get it done better. Mm. Yeah, that's that's the way I was looking at it. Um yeah, so it was good. And then the price actually was the other thing that surprised me. I'll wrap up on the price. Okay. And one surprising little thing from Amazon. Uh, the price, I thought, okay. Again, I'm thinking the Indian people. <laughs> yeah. Okay. At Fiverr.com. So I'm kind of thinking, they only charge a fiver an hour to do this, blah, 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 blah. No, not really. If you have a look at a couple of the websites and stuff like that, you'll see that most of the professional people are charging 15, maybe 20 and upwards. Hmm. Now, that can be dollars or euro to, to take whichever. Uh, and then kind of you get a couple of people that charge you over 35 or, or, or 40 quid an hour. And that's quite expensive. But they would be specialists and, and really know what they're doing. So I reckon you're probably looking for somebody decent 15, 20 quid per hour. Uh, then with the companies that you're dealing with who would have somebody available to you for three or four hours every week of the month, uh, you'd be looking at maybe 250 or 300 quid a month. A month. Okay. Still cheaper than employing someone. It is cheaper than employing somebody. And I'm, I know I, I haven't looked into this. I don't know the practicalities because uh, I, I do my own accounting and stuff at the moment. But here's an idea. If you know nothing about accounting, what if you had somebody who charged you 200 quid a month and then everything you just gave them a box of receipts? <laughs> I said, there you go. Just make it all work. And off they did. And they did a brilliant job. Wouldn't that be amazing to think that for two grand or two and a half grand a year, all of your accounting is done without having to take on an employee? 
I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people just heard that and went, oh, thank God. <laughs> and then the uh, the other thing which I'll wrap up with is uh, Amazon, because Amazon are always well on these things. Uh, they have their own kind of virtual assistant uh, service called uh, Amazon Micro Turks. And what they do is they're human beings who perform tasks that computers cannot can't. Okay. Exactly. So we started off the conversation saying that a virtual assistant is not uh, a, a Google, it's not a uh, Amazon Alexa or whoever it happens to be. Uh, and Amazon use these humans to perform tasks that computers cannot do, such as choosing the best photos. Or give me the photos that it's like the old thing when you did to prove that you're a human being on the, on, on when you're looking on websites or, or entering forms or whatever prove you're human and pick out the yeah. photos that have got a shop front or whatever happens to be mm. uh, and so they're able to kind of uh, do that which i actually think is an interesting way of uh, of doing them. You're using human computers or people if you will <laughs> is that what they're called next you'll be telling me you can use a smartphone to make phone calls <laughs> <laughs> anyway there you go I, as I say it's just a, a little something interesting that came up during the week and I wanted to share it with you uh, virtual assistance if you want to check that out on uh, Google this is Tech Central your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie now let's get into our interview for this week uh, all to do with Girls in Tech which is the name of a global non-profit organisation focused on the engagement education and empowerment of women in technology. It was founded 12 years ago and has grown from San Francisco to more than 50 chapters worldwide, including one here in little old Ireland. Uh, Niall Kitson spoke to our local Girls in Tech Managing Director. Her name is Coral Movaselli to find out more. I guess breaking down your career to date, you've got these sort of twin interests of advocacy and uh, technology. Um, I guess, you know, advocacy we can, we can talk about because it, it relates to your, your current career and, and a life to date, but your relationship with technology goes down much, much further. Yeah, it does. It goes back to when I was a child um, and I was living in a household with three other sisters and we had one computer. This was in the mid 1990s. And I, as a way to escape um, three sisters around me, I found solace in computers. And I was also curious about technology. It was very new. Um, Suddenly it was in every household and it was, it was a way for me to pass time and understand what this new thing was. So it was, very much born out of curiosity and uh, that's a very interesting dynamic actually being uh, in a household full of sisters was was this pretty much what marked you out yeah i was the black sheep i was the only one who would spend all her time on the computer uh, so whether it was on the internet whether and then that's how i started um teaching myself how to code in html to create websites to pass time or um you know find solace in computer games it it was a way to pass time for me and i really enjoyed it i think what's interesting there is that you you basically taught yourself to code um kind of as a as a, a personal interest was that was that a drive that stuck with you since then that uh, you know this consistent curiosity to to learn code to take on small projects I think curiosity in itself has stayed with me curiosity to understand people better to understand things better that has stayed with me I think coding is I think people get very afraid 
of coding. Um, but when you dumb it down, it's just another language. It's just in a different syntax um, and anyone can learn it. It's just one other way that you communicate with technology. And by technology, I mean, you know, a computer to tell it what you needed to do. Um, so for me, I think the most important part is being curious. And uh, bringing, bringing things forward, you have sort of developed this uh, interest in altruism and advocacy, but not always uh, through the medium of technology. You've, you've had a look in other fields as well. I have. Um, I started off my career actually with the federal government of Canada. I wanted to go into policy work so um, so that I could better understand how I could change society, how I could make it better. And that's how I started off my career as I actually academically, I studied um, political science for my undergrad and my master's of science was at the London School of Economics in comparative politics. So I learned how um, I, what I took away from social science was how to understand the world um, and how to do proper research, quantitative, qualitative research, so you can make sense of the world. And I think that technology is just one other medium to solve problems, to look at the world. Um, and there could be other mediums out there. It is not the only, it is not always the only solution. And when you're looking at how to apply your your skills, I, I guess, as a, an advocate. Are you looking to engage with sort of the political class or are you looking at a much more grassroots uh, approach, engaging with uh, girls at, at school level? Yeah, so I've definitely hung up my policy and political hat. And what I'm focused on now is the more grassroots level. And the reason I like the grassroots level is because it puts you in front of the women and the girls to better understand what they're thinking, what they need, and you get all of the nuanced solutions because of that. And even with Girls in Tech, what we, you know, when I design programs like the mentorship program here in Ireland called Stepping Up, I took an iterative approach. I applied design thinking methodologies. I looked at the program as a product, and each time we deliver the program, program it's slightly different. It's slightly more nuanced than the last one, and that's because we're doing it iteratively so that we can understand women better and we can design programs to help them. Actually, the application of design thinking, I, I think, there is fascinating to to take that product based uh, approach. So, well, what sort of uh, learnings have you taken from uh, from this process to date? Well, I think from me from the process of design thinking. Mm, yes, I think for me, design. So, I studied as part of my master's, as I was telling you, um, uh, comparative politics, and comparative politics is a bit of a nebulous topic, but essentially, it's understanding the world and conducting research. Design thinking is research. Um, it's going back in, it's using secondary and primary um, research skills to better understand something and then continuously doing it so that you can make it better. Uh, and that's for me encapsulates what design thinking is. So everything I've done to date, because I have a research background, has always been part of design thinking. It's research. So when when you've been working with girls, um, what sort of uh, outreach methods, what sort of uh, event models have you found to be particularly effective? 
Yeah. So most of the work that we do here in Ireland and across across the globe has been for women. Um, we have done one. We did one program last year targeted to youth, um, including girls. But in terms of what has worked best to engage women, um, we find it's understanding them again by doing the research. Uh, so for I'll take I'll elaborate on the mentorship program. It took eight months for me to create it. Um, in the beginning, I did a lot of secondary online research, understanding what mentorship is. I then spoke to loads of stakeholders to dissect what their understanding of mentorship was. I then held a workshop where I invited users, uh, potential members and women um, to attend and got their ideas on what mentorship meant to them before I even put together pen to paper on what that what that program should look like. And then when you sort of finally got together uh, with that with that program, what did it what did um, what did it look like? What, what sort of things do, did you think you would be exploring that you cast aside and w- what were the most surprising things that you came across? The most surprising thing that I came across was how well people took to it. Um, I used a different model on mentorship where instead of pairing someone together based on any sort of algorithm, it was all randomized and it still is. And that was based on the theory in some studies I read that if you, I mean, what are the chances that as many factors that you can take into consideration, what are the chances that you can actually match two people together and they're going to become, they're going to form a relationship as a mentor and a mentee. That relationship is very hard to formulate and to consolidate. Um, And if you do it in any artificial way, it's going to become artificial. So I I found it really interesting how the organic approach to helping people understand what a relationship is and helping them guide them and facilitating relationship building, how well they took to that. That element of finding the right mentor, I guess it's it's probably still fair to say that you're working with a very, very limited pool, uh, especially in terms of the gender breakdown in the tech sector at the moment, which is which is still uh, very intimidating for women. I, I think it, it, it's definitely it definitely can be intimidating. Um, but at all of our programs, we have a nine, you know, it's 90 percent women. Um, in terms of our turnout, um, our mentors, uh, 90% women. Um, so, and this is actually for girls in tech global, like globally across, across the world. Um, we have about 10 to 20% male engagement. So we've been able to flip everything, um, on its back and have high level of female engagement, um, that is proportional to, um, a lower level of male engagement, but also very inclusive and engaging for both genders. So we've got a, a very interesting event coming up at the end of May, uh, which is the first girls in tech hackathon. Would that be correct? Yeah, it is. It's the first Girls in Tech Hackathon in Ireland. Uh, We're so excited about it. Uh, It's going to be on May 24th to May 26th at the Digital Hub. It'll be over two and a half days. And what 
if anyone's wondering what is a hackathon and what am I going to get out of it? Well, a hackathon is a way for you to come and scope out challenges, business challenges, find solutions, come up with an idea, work with multidisciplinary teams and walk out having pitched um, a concept to investors that you can actually go and build and incorporate the very next day. And for the Girls in Tech Hackathon, it's a hack for good. So we work with local charities. One of them is the Simon Community. Um, so homelessness will be a big topic and it's a way for you to help, um, you know, social causes and feel good. We have no interest in owning the IP in any way. We're there to facilitate and help women, um, gain the skills and, you know, move through the hackathon as seamlessly as possible and to come out very much empowered and engaged. You don't need any coding skills whatsoever to attend. So you find that it's still very much the the power of the idea over necessarily the technical ability to make it happen is the most important thing. Yeah, and I think that's, again, seeing technology as a tool. Um, it's, you know, technology isn't a panacea. Um, it's a tool. And I think when you see it as a tool, you can understand how to work with it. Um, just like a baker can work with the tools that he has in his shop or any sort of craftsman, you can work with that tool to solve problems. And I think with the hackathon, it gives you an opportunity to learn how you can go, you can see a problem um, and dissect it and then apply technology to solve it. And not every problem needs technology. It really doesn't. But it's a great way to stay curious by going to hackathons and seeing how technology can be applied. And that was Niall Kitson talking to Girls in Tech Managing Director Coral Movaselli. That's it for our show this week. Remember, you can get the lowdown on Girls in Tech and all things tech in Ireland and around the world with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our techcentre.ie website. And of course, you can listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1X. Until next week, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.